before we get into the message this morning, let me pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you um, have given us invitation to tune our hearts to you. You have sent your son Jesus to be an example of what that looks like. And God, individually, individually, before we come in here on a Sunday morning, God, let our hearts be in tune and attuned to you and who you are and to your son Jesus. Let that be true of us. God, if we can do that, then we come in collectively in tune together, not having to try to create that while we're in here, but we will be that. And so, God, let us, let us be that. Let us move forward in unity because individually we know who you are. We love you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. Um, as we continue in our What We Believe series, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been asked, do you want the good news or the bad news? Has anybody ever been asked that? Show of hands, right? Maybe a friend calls, hey, listen, I've got some stuff going on. Do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? you want the good news or the bad news? Okay, raise your hand if there's anybody in here who actually wants the good news first. Like you want to hear the good news before you hear the bad news. Okay, we got one in the back. Maybe, maybe things, whatever's going on in your life, you're just, maybe it's like, just give me some kind of good news first and then I'll handle the bad news based off of the good news. Maybe. But I think for a lot of us, we want the bad news first. Is that pretty accurate? We want to get that out of the way. We want to end on a good note. We want to have the good news be the thing that we walk away with. All right? Well, you're in luck, because this morning you get the bad news. All right, over the last couple of weeks, we have been studying these 10 key beliefs that we have uh, as a faith family, and I'm super excited about our topic this morning, sin. Um, so let's be honest here for a second. Uh, this is really hard to hear uh, any morning when you come and you're prepared to hear a message on sin. Um, but I will promise you it is even more difficult to preach on, okay? So, uh, and study all through the week and for a couple weeks on the topic of sin. I think the only thing worse is tithing. So thanks for, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and just say thank you for not making me preach uh, on tithing and money. So I'll say this, these last two weeks um, through studying, I have become very aware of my own sin and failures and shortcomings uh, as I study this. I, I feel like I come into this morning, I'm echoing Paul in 1 Timothy where he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Um, I feel that this morning. And so studying the bad news uh, is really hard. Um, but you know what else I realized? Um, I realized that the bad news does something uh, it makes the good news that much better. When you study the bad news, the good news is all, all the more beautiful uh, for us in our life. So here we go. Um, at Sanctuary, we believe this. We believe because of sin, this fallen world has pain and suffering. And in consequence, we are and humans are separated from God and justly exposed to the wrath of God. Welcome to church. Um, sin in Hebrew is this word chata, which I think that sounds pretty good, which means to miss the mark 
or a failure to hit a goal. To miss the mark or failure to hit a goal. This is the Hebrew definition of sin. Now, this is what I do with our students sometimes. Okay, I just want to preface this. I'm no artist, okay? I'm no artist. But sometimes I try. When I read scripture on certain things, I then begin to draw. Uh, And so I have, are y'all okay if I show you some of my artist renderings uh, of what I came up with? Is that okay? Now remember, I'm the youth pastor here, and so this is sometimes what I do, and I think it helps students sometimes. So I'm I'm gonna show you guys some of my sketches here really quick. When we think about the definition of sin, which is to miss the mark or failure to hit a goal, the first thing that I thought about, about as I went this, because a lot of times we call it, uh, we say that it is, um, it's an archer's term and they miss the target. And so here uh, is number one. Please don't laugh. Here's number one. I told you not to laugh. Uh, this is number one, okay? When I first thought about this, uh, the word sin and failure to miss the mark or missing the goal, Uh, This is kind of what came out. Again, I know I'm not the best, but I have to write it down. I have to see it. And so I started to think about it in this way, that we just miss the target, all right? And so around the target, our target being righteousness, our target, we're, we're just barely off on a lot of different places. And these are our attempts at, and sin is our attempts at righteousness. Um, But then as I really started to study it, uh, my picture changed a little bit. All right, and so here is uh, rendering part two. And so as I thought about this, the failure to miss the goal, failure to, uh, failure to hit the goal, uh, missing the mark, um, the more I read about sin and our attempts, this is uh, more of what my definition felt like. That, that really to, to say to miss is to suggest that we could have hit it. Like we could have hit it. But I'm going to tell you this morning, you and I are 100% incapable of hitting that mark in our own strength. We are 100% incapable. And so because of that, even the best archer has no chance. We are way off when we look at the definition and the understanding of sin. Um, Jeremiah 13.23 I hope you have your Bibles this morning, um, because if you forgot, I don't put them on the screen. I want you to search for it. I want you to know how to navigate the Word of God. And so Jeremiah 13, 23, the prophet says something interesting when we look at um, this idea of sin. Uh, Jeremiah 13, 23, if you need to take a picture, write them down, come to them later, you can do that. Jeremiah 13, 23, this is what he says as God's speaking to his people. He says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin, or can a leopard change its spots? And neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. It's what God says to his people. Uh, I got two more drawings. I know you're excited about that, but I got two more drawings. Um, I kind of started thinking about it in a way that maybe we all understand, and I took it back to these old school tracks that we used to hand out. You know, everybody's probably seen this picture if you are above the age of maybe 25 or something like that. You've probably seen this. And so this is just another sketch. I redid this. Is that, have y'all seen this before? Is my, okay, y'all seen this? Right, so um, this was kind of this picture that a lot of times we gave where man is over here, God is over here, and because of sin, we are separated from God, which is a part of our, uh, one of our 10 belief statements. 
Um, and I want to I suggest something else as we look at this, because a lot of times when I look at this, this is my own, uh, this is my own flesh. This is t- totally comes from me. I look at this and go, I might be able to make that jump. Like, I, I could come close, all right? I, I might be able to get there. And so as we look at our definition of sin and what sin is this morning, I think it looks a little bit more like this. And I want to talk about why. That man is here and there is this devastating pit that is far and wide and God is here. So we need to talk. This is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the nature of sin in us, the nature of sin that is in all of us, and I want to talk about the motivation behind sin. All right, Romans 3.23. I think you all know this. We'll go there. Romans 3.23. Once I get it started, you could probably finish it uh, as I say it, but it says this, for all have what? For all have sinned and what happens? And we fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we look at this passage, I think we view it as confirmation that we're all disqualified, right? This passage is a passage that disqualifies all of us. (laughs) For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul is writing here with such confidence that no one, past, present, or future, has a shot. No one, past, present, or future, has a shot in their own individual strength and power of giving God the glory that he deserves. And so for all have sinned, past, present, future, we have all missed the mark. And I want to ask, and I want to look at this, why? Why have we all missed the mark? Because I think it goes a whole lot deeper than just we have done some things to sin that separate us from God. It goes much deeper than this. The reason that we have all missed the mark is because there is, it is nowhere in us to hit the mark. We have something in us that won't allow us to hit the mark. Sin nature is found in all of us, and it is part of our internal makeup. I love what Paul David Tripp says, how he puts it, and then we'll look at what Paul says in the book of Romans. Paul David Tripp says, sin is not just what we do. It is who we are. We are sinners. It is who we are. It's not just a couple actions. It is in each one of us. There's a moment in Paul's letter to the church in Rome where he wrestles with the reality of sin nature. So go over a couple pages to Romans 7. Um, I'm actually, I do have this one on the screen because I want to jump to this in the NLT. I I go to this a couple times. Uh, Sometimes with our students, uh, words are a a little bit different. This translation words are a little different, so I want to go here. Um, Romans 7, 14 through 23, and I want you to hear this. So, so Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and he's going to wrestle with the idea of sin nature. And I love this passage because Paul essentially pours out into the scripture and on paper like his deep internal struggle with sin and his confession about wanting to do what is right, but there's something in him that keeps him from doing that. So Let's uh, read this, and I'm going to stop us a couple times. 14 says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. 
I love this. I think about in this in passage 14, I think about um, you know, some people who go, oh, why do we have why do we have these rules or these laws? Why do we have these? And and we kind of buck up against the rules and the laws. I think about um, when we go to fuel and we go on retreats, one of my very first rules that all the students know is no pranking. That's one of the main rules. And every year, every retreat, when I say it, they go, oh, man, right? Okay? It just revealed in them what they really want to do. That's what the law and the rules really just did. So the trouble is not the law. The trouble is with me for I am all too human. Okay, so we, I want us to look at that because that's a, big, that's a big phrase to say. I am all too human. So if you and I sitting in this room are all too human, then there's something in this for us. Okay, uh, 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, is Paul pushing his sin and his actions off on somebody else? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he kind of is a little bit. He's saying that there is somebody else, but he does say that that person is still in me. It's not someone, some other person. He pushes the sin to something else inside of him. So verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I just can't. You feel that sometimes? Have y'all ever felt the weight of that? I want to do what is right, but I can't. Like, I just can't. Paul is uncovering something really big here. 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not, this is, this gets, Paul gets, he's getting deep here. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I have discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. There is something deeper that Paul is recognizing here. Romans 7.13, he says this, How can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Listen to this. And then we're going to go back to original sin. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. Listen, it uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. And this is the sin nature in each of us. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the motivation, right? It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So what is the motivation behind this? I want to talk about the motivation for our sin. And I think it kind of comes from this. Now, recognize any time that we use, uh, anybody uses an analogy to try and help us understand Scripture so, I mean, every time it's going to fall short because of the weight and the severity of what we're talking about. So I'm going to try and 
Uh, I'm just trying to let you get a picture of this motivation behind our sin, your sin, my sin, Eve, Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Imagine with me for a second that you have a friend you know uh, and trust, and they give you football tickets, okay? Uh, we had some friends, uh, the Howards, that gave us some Braves tickets recently. We had an absolute blast with our girls, and they said, the seats are awesome. You're going to love them. We I kind of trust Jonathan a little bit. Uh, so I trust him, um, and so we went. But imagine for a second that a friend you know and trust gives you tickets, and they tell you this. Maybe you've heard this before. They say, these are the best seats in the stadium. These are the best seats in the stadium. It doesn't get any better than these tickets. Have a blast. And they give you the tickets. And, and you go, and you and a friend or you and your spouse are on the way to the stadium, and you're walking, and all of a sudden you're approached by someone. And this guy says, hey, I got two tickets. Uh, y'all want these two tickets? Now we, we've got tickets. Well, hold on, hold on. I'd be willing to trade. I'd be willing to trade these tickets that I have for yours. And, and well, listen, we, we're, we've been told that these are the best. These are the best seats in the house. And he says, let me, let me see those for a second. He's, no, no, no. <laughs> These aren't the best seats in the house. They're pretty good, but I'm telling you, the one, what I have is the best. Like You are not going to get better seats than the ones that I have. And I'm willing to trade you these seats for your seats. And trust me, you want these. You want these seats. Okay? And so in your mind, I know you're sitting out there right now and you're going, not a chance that I would ever trust this guy. All right? But let's say, for instance, you decide to. And in your mind, you're going, is it possible that there's something better in the stadium? Is it possible that there, is, that there is better seats than what my friend has given me? Is it possible that there is something better out there? And so that motivates you a little bit, and you go, okay, yeah, let's trade. Let's trade. And so you trade, you take his tickets, he takes your tickets, and he walks off only to find out that this are your... Now, I looked up worse seats uh, in any football stadium. <laughs> but you walk into the stadium and you find that these are the seats that you have traded for. Think about it. Somebody offered something that what they claimed is the best and what motivated you was could there possibly be something better out there than what they told me? And in this, you find that you were wrong. Let's go to the original sin. Now, if we consider where all this began, when we look back where sin enters the picture, I think we're going to find that the enemy's tactics and the temptation progression that we walk through absolutely has not changed. So we're going to Genesis 2. Going to Genesis 2. I'm going to get there too. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. All right, let's lay out the best plans that God had for Adam and Eve. This is what he told Adam and Eve. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, certainly you will die. These are the plans that God laid out for Adam and Eve. 
all right? And he says, my plans are good, and they could trust him. They're looking around in the garden. They can see that his plans are good. And then in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, we see the enemy enter the picture. Genesis 3, 1 through, I'll probably read to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? And the enemy begins to twist and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, from any fr- eat fruit from tr- the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Okay? So what does the serpent do? And four, he says, you will certainly not die. Okay? You, 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 you certainly don't have the best seats in the house. Certainly you won't die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the enemy twists what God says so that we think that we're missing out on greater and better and more satisfying plans. And he twists it to think that in the end, there is something better and more satisfying for us. What has changed about the serpent's about the enemy's plans and his tactics, absolutely nothing. They were the same as they were in the garden. And I would ask you this, I would ask each of us this, what is he twisting in your life to make you believe that something, uh, believe something that is not true and will never satisfy? What is he whispering to, to make you believe, maybe this, maybe this is what I need, maybe this will satisfy, that is, Completely opposite of his plans. And then, this is interesting, and I'm real, I'm real practical. Like I, like, I like practical, I like to see the practical in things. And so I want us to see our response to temptation. And I want, I want you to kind of see these. I'll put these on the screen. Um, and I'm going to read these from, uh, I'm going to read verse 6 from the NLT. And I'll say something about this first one. So this is our response to temptation. This is what happens. What Eve walks through is what we walk through when it comes to temptation. And I want you to recognize kind of the steps that we take. So it says this in the NLT. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it gave her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Five things in here that I want you to see. We'll go through these pretty quick, and then we'll um, be close to closing. Um, First one is this. The woman was convinced. She was convinced. Now I'll say this in the NIV. If you're looking in the NIV, the NIV doesn't include that she was convinced. All right, but I want to talk about this in that I believe that Eve was convinced before the temptation even began. Think about this. As the serpent begins to whisper in her ear and he tells her, hey, that's not true. Well, he did say that, but there's something more to that. And the enemy begins to twist and Eve's mind begins to go, maybe he's right. Maybe there is something better in here for me. And so as the NLT says, I like that it puts it this way, she was convinced before, because before anything, before she ever even looked at the fruit, the enemy had gotten in her mind and convinced her that maybe there's something more satisfying than God alone. And so because of that, she was convinced. And then 
Uh, and so what was the decision? Um, the woman was convinced, which means that she had made a decision in her mind. And so what was that decision? That maybe there is deeper satisfaction in something else than God alone. So then we see this. Then she saw. Then she saw. This is the moment where the trap is set. She's got something in her mind that maybe there's something of greater satisfaction. And then she looks and she sees the fruit. When Satan tempted Jesus, he put things in front of Jesus. Jesus saw them, but yet he still did not sin. He turned from those things. James 1, 13 through 14. We'll go to a couple passages in the book of James. Um, if you've got your Bibles, let's, let's turn over there. James um, 1, 13 through 14. Listen to what it says. Again, I love James because it's just such a practical uh, book of the Bible. Um, James 13 through 14 says this, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But listen to this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So when Eve said, when it said, Scripture says that she saw, the trap was set, the bait was put out there, and because of her own desires, she was enticed. And when she looked and she saw, she was enticed. The next thing is this. She wanted. She wanted. It says that she wanted the thing that it offered. She wanted the knowledge. She wanted the wisdom. And so as she had made up her mind, as she sees the fruit, now she wants. And this is desire. We see desire. Desire is always in there because of the sin nature that we talked about. And the sin nature bubbles up with this desire once we have seen something, and now we want it. We want it. Mark 7, 20 through 23. I know I'm taking you all over Scripture, but Mark 7, 20 through 23, you can take a break for a minute. I'll just read it for you if you want me to do that. Mark 7, 20 through 23 says, He went on, What comes out of a person, this is Jesus' words, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Listen to this. For it is from within... Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It is those desires. It is sin nature that is in us that bubbles up to cause these wants. We see it and now we want it. And this is the decision moment, right? When we see it and we want it, we have this desire for it. It's the moment where you decide, even though I want this, is it what's best? And for Eve, the next thing she did is she took. She took. This is the action moment. We're back to James 13, 14, and 15. This is what 15 says. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. She took. It is action. This is the moment. It is acting upon our sin, desire, and saying, I understand the choices that are set before me, and I choose to go this way. And she took. Now, I'll give you another quick um, example that uh, maybe doesn't fully live up to this, but we're going to give it a shot. You remember in, uh, I'm, a, I'm a 90s kid, like, the, the 90s, those were my best years. 
uh, I was a 90s kid, right? You remember back in the 90s, things are very different now. We would be out running around the neighborhood. Okay, you don't see that a lot nowadays, but um, we were, I won't go there. We were out running around the neighborhood. We were riding bikes. We were building jumps, you know, out of things that you shouldn't build a jump, a bike jump out of, okay? Uh, we were playing um, flashlight tag, uh, all these things. And then someone would say this, right? You're, you, you come in and you're like completely sweaty and you're so tired and all, you've, you've just been running around. And somebody says, man, I'm really thirsty. I'm really thirsty. Hey, how, go turn on the hose. Y'all remember this? Okay. And we would just grab the hose and we would just, we would just drink from the hose. All right. There is no parent today that would allow their kid to do that. Okay. And you know, I'm right. Okay, we're not drinking from the hose water uh, nowadays. But back in the 90s, that was okay. I'm convinced that I lost five years of my life due to hose water. But, um, but now I think about this, right? Think about what you traded. Think, think about the action that you took. I think maybe as a kid, maybe I didn't understand the choices, but I know the choices now. I, I actually know what's better uh, on the other side, where my option could be I could take the hose water or I could open a door, walk inside to a very cold glass of purified ice water, okay? There's two very different options set before you, and she chose, tells us that she made the decision, and yet sometimes we're convinced um, that the better option would be the unpurified metal-tasting hose water. And we choose that based on convenience. The next thing that she did, the fifth thing, is she shared. Now, we won't talk about this very long, but I just want you to see that in this response to temptation, there is a splash effect that happens. There is a splash effect that happens and this is how our sin affects others. Whether they're drawn into sin, and in our own sin, we make the decision to invite other people into our sin, the activities of our sin, or whether that sin hurts those around us. We won't spend time on that today, but for Eve, there was splash because of her sin. So let's ask this, what is the motive behind our sin we're going to go back to Jeremiah uh, 2.13. Jeremiah 2.13 says this. You probably heard it before. It says, my people, this is God speaking to his people through the prophet, Isaiah, through the prophet Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. My people have committed two sins. I think God looked down and he boiled everything down to these two things, which I believe is the motivation behind a lot of our sin. I think a lot of what we would consider our sin, we could sum up here. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me and they went after something else. They've forsaken me, the living water that promises full, uh, the best life that we could possibly imagine. They have forsaken me, and they have gone their own way. They have chosen the things 
that they felt like that they have been tricked and because of sin nature in us, then caused this want in us, and now they have gone after those things. So what is the motive behind our sin? I think it is when we believe that there might be something better and more satisfying, and we take and we eat. I'm going to close with this. Um, This is a a reading um, that I found about the woman at the well. And I think it, uh, we've probably, we've definitely heard that story before, I'm sure. Um, But I just want to read this for you. You're welcome to close your eyes and just consider this. I want to read this for you. One more passage of scripture and we'll pray. It says this, on a hot Samaritan midday, just outside of Sychar, an experienced builder of broken cisterns was on her way to Jacob's well. In her heart were the ruins of five relational cisterns that she had tried so hard to make, each now desolate and bone dry. If nothing changed, soon there would be a sixth. When she arrived at the well, she found the fountain sitting beside it. The fountain was waiting for her. He had come to save her from all her futile hewing and to give her living water that would become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She was skeptical till he gave her a taste. And then she drank deeply and for joy went and told all her fellow townsfolk about the fountain. Many of them drank deeply too. In the woman at the well, we see ourselves. The cistern she tried to make may be different than ours, but ours are no less futile and empty. Apart from God, everything becomes a dry well. Nothing in this world can channel or store the water we long for most. Everything here leaks and eventually breaks apart and ends. And choosing such broken cisterns over the fountain of living water is the essence of human sin. The core of evil, the core evil of the original sin was believing the forbidden knowledge of good and evil would yield more satisfaction than God. We read in Romans 7, I want to read, uh, I want to get into Paul's conclusion from Romans 7 that he found. I'll put this up on the screen. He says, in Romans 7, 24 through 25, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Remember, this is, he's going, the things that I want to do, I can't do. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. There is some, there's a power at work within me. And he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's the bad news. And thank God the answer is next week. Okay. Um, well, if, I, I will say, if you don't like cliffhangers, you can continue reading in Scripture on what the answer is. But I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to leave us there this week. And that's where we're at. We have a sin nature in us that desires something um, apart from what God wants. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, for this morning, God. Thanks for time and your word, all in your word. There is so much. There is so much. And you give us an insight into uh, these things, our sin nature, our self. God, thank you that we get a picture from Paul of what that looks like. I feel the same way. The things that I want to do, I just can't seem to do them. And the things that I don't want to do, a lot of times something takes over 
and it causes me to do those things. God, help us to see, most importantly, motivate us to see that there is nothing greater and nothing more satisfying than anything in this world can offer apart from you. Help us to see that. We need to see that, God, and help us to walk in that. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you that we know, us in this room, we know where this goes. We know that the, the, the bad news allows for the most beautiful, amazing gospel news that we have ever heard. And so, God, thank you that you have rescued us by your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.